you will do greater things than these. Jesus said that to his disciples, to ordinary men and women who followed his teaching and tried hard to live the way that he taught them. When we're faced by a story where Jesus does something we might even go as far as to call unbelievable, I wonder where that leaves us. Inspired or despondent? Hopeful or hesitant? Today, we're going to explore the first sign in John's story of Jesus and see what turning water into wine might tell us about who God is and what his hopes for us are. Today, Joyce and John Hamilton join me in leading our worship. Joyce will lead our prayers later, but for now, let's listen closely to John telling us about this first sign. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's the season of Epiphany. An Epiphany, remember, is a sudden realisation or revelation. So for the coming weeks, we're going to wonder a bit about what the Bible reading we look at helps us to realise or what they reveal to us about who Jesus is and what that tells us about God. Sometimes it's easy to forget the wonder of Jesus as God in human flesh, fully divine and fully human. We can be tempted to see Jesus as one or the other, and sometimes that depends on what Jesus is doing in the story. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus' first miracle is an exorcism. He dramatically casts out a demon from a man possessed. The wedding at Cana in Galilee could hardly be more different. Jesus is at a wedding, along with his disciples, and his mother is there too. It's perhaps interesting that John gives Jesus' mother a big role in the story, but never once throughout the whole of the Gospel uses her name. We've all been at weddings. Some of you have been caught up in the Covid roller coaster of postponement and reduced numbers and restrictions on what you can do and where you can sit and all that kind of thing. Anyone who has arranged a wedding knows all the dangers. Leaving someone off the guest list can lead to family rifts that never heal. Trying to decide where people who are coming sit, well, that can be the hardest part of the planning. 
what should be a pretty straightforward day celebrating two people's love for each other can become a fraught social disaster in an instant. It was the same in Jesus' time, with perhaps even higher stakes. People didn't move around as much in those days. Your neighbours were going to be your neighbours for the whole of your life, probably. If you offended them, then they weren't going to go home and you would just never see them again. You had to see them every single day. The groom was the host at the wedding. It was his job to make sure that everyone was fed and had enough to drink. If the wine ran out, he would be starting his married life with a disaster. In a society that was all about honour and shame, then doing the wrong thing, offending people even if you don't mean it, was a huge deal. You wouldn't get asked to other things, so you'd be cut off from the social life of the community. You wouldn't get asked to do work for people, so your income would suffer too. Causing offence was serious. Really serious. Mary can see what's happening. It's her that pushes Jesus forward. Jesus really isn't all that keen. My hour has not yet come, he says. But his mother persists. Do what he tells you. For me, this is one of those moments that the humanity of Jesus is on display. I'm not ready yet. We've all felt like that sometimes. Often it's a feeling we get when we have either had to create something or share it, or we've been given some kind of responsibility to make something happen for other people. And those cases are fear that it won't be good enough and that people will judge us. That's a big part of that feeling. What if I can't do this? What if I'm just not up to it? What if people hate it? What if it all goes wrong? We live in a world where failure isn't encouraged. We're all terrified of messing up or breaking it or or getting it wrong. The reality is that failure is central to the creative process. We're never going to get something right the first time, and if we do, it's almost always an accident. Or because it's not actually something new, we're just deploying an already well-practiced skill in a slightly different way. Sometimes we need other people to push us forward. I wonder what Mary thought was going to happen. Did she know what he would do? And did she know where it would lead? The consequences of changing water into wine would ripple far beyond this wedding banquet. The wine would all too soon become the cup of the Last Supper, his blood poured out as a sacrifice. This is the first step on the road that leads to the cross. The other thing we worry about is stepping out of the way we do it. Fitting in is a huge driver for all of us. We like people who are a bit out there, but we like people who create stuff. We like when other people take that kind of risk and share it with us, but but we're not great at being that person. And that makes this miracle of incredible generosity even more remarkable. The epiphany here, that the realisation or revelation is surely that God's love is plentiful, abundant, free-flowing, better than we could ever imagine it to be. And it's intriguing that only a few people knew. The servants and the chief steward knew the disciples and his mother, but nobody else did. Even the bridegroom has no idea. The people who benefit from the miracle, this sign of ritual water turned into gallons and gallons of the best wine, don't know what's happened. And isn't that so often how it is for the rest of us? God love 
comes to us in unexpected ways. And often we don't even notice, mostly because we forget to ask where it came from. There's something else happening here though. This is a sign. John doesn't call them miracles because when we see something we can't explain, we often get distracted by trying to work out how he did it, rather than why and what it means. It's not an accident that the water is the ritual water in big stone jars. Everyone who's at the wedding would have washed their hands with this water as they entered. It's not like a big basin though, the water would have been drawn from these big jars and put into a bowl. It was the ritual, the custom. It's what you did. Washing was religious too. Everything was. It was a a religious society, so all of the rituals and customs were tied up in that. Washing was as much about being clean to enter God's presence as it was about good hygiene. The guests have washed their hands to enter into God's presence without any sense that God's already there. And that's not taking into account that they're literally in the presence of God in the person of Jesus. Their washing has just become something they do, part of daily life unthinking and automatic. They are God's people, remember, the chosen ones, the ones God heard cry out from their slavery in Egypt all those years ago, the ones God saved and led into a new land. They know that God loves them and they've created a system that's supposed to remind them of that at every turn, but it doesn't. They think it's perfect, but it's not. The religious observance has become routine, and in some ways the very opposite of what it was supposed to be. If Jesus' actions show us the lavish abundance of God's love, then too often religion has tried to limit it and ration it. People have spent years arguing about whether or not the wine that Jesus made was alcoholic. Talk about missing the point. I mentioned marketing guru Seth Godin last week. He's a brilliant phrase that I think describes what Jesus is doing here. Destroying the perfect to create the impossible. Jesus is doing exactly that. He's destroying the perfect to create the impossible. Jesus is taking what we think we know, the religious stuff that we do, all the stuff that we take for granted, all the things that we don't think much about, that are the things that we value most and get really upset about when they get changed. He's taking all of those things and reminding us that they themselves are not the point. Church can be like that for us. We like how it is, how it's done. We worry about the procedures and doing it properly. Sometimes that means that this perfect thing that we've created is the very thing that holds us back from a deeper encounter with God. We're so busy doing the stuff, our equivalent of the ritual hand washing or remembering a time when the stuff meant more or happened in a way that worked for us that, that we forget. We forget what we're doing and why. So when we come up against God, we don't recognise him or realise what's happening. This isn't just about turning water into wine. We shouldn't get stuck at the miracle and forget the consequences. Jesus saves the groom and his family from embarrassment. He maintains their place in the community. Jesus also enables people to continue to celebrate together. And that tells us something about God too. Sometimes our response to God will be like those witnessing Mark's first miracle, the exorcism. They must have been astonished and terrified and awestruck and confused. Who is this Jesus? Who has the power to do that? But other times, and just as importantly, our response should be joy and celebration and laughter and a party. Because God is a God who loves us and whose love is overflowing. God is interested in enabling us to join together to have fun 
to mark the wonderful moments of our lives as well as the hard ones. In destroying our perfect, Jesus creates this impossible world where God is here among us, with us, loving us, now and always. to the Lord Most High With joyful singing we will glorify The great Creator The author of all life We are His people and He is our God He always guides us in His ways with love Let joyful praises this place in Because the Lord is good He rules the earth with everlasting love
God of blessing, the trees are bare. Winter holds us close to hearth and home, and the lights of Christmas are long packed away. We look for signs of life, waiting for the white of snowdrop, marking the gentle lengthening of days, wondering when the warmth of sun will warm our bones. Yet, even in the seeming barrenness of winter, in your word, in stories shared, we find hope, the promise of abundance, like buds greening on trees. You teach us in the ebb and flow of seasons that your life, that your love, flows in and through us like fine wine, lifting our spirits, and it is enough, more than enough. We pray for all who struggle in the dark days of winter, who find it difficult to lift their heads, who find it hard to see joy within and without. So we bring before you all who live with illness of mind and spirit, all who feel alone, alienated, ashamed, all who see only darkness, whose glass feels half empty, pour in the light of your hope this day. We pray for all who hunger and thirst for justice, for peace, for a fair go, who find it difficult to be seen and heard, who find it hard to fight when society is hugely unequal. So we bring before you all who live with social stigma and systemic bullying, all who experience the effects of poverty, all who have no place to call their own, whose lives make useful scapegoats. Pour in the light of your hope this day. We pray for all who long for life in all its fullness, in the midst of illness or grief or jobs that grind them down, who find it difficult to put one foot in front of the other, who find it hard to keep on going. So we bring before you all who live with feelings of anxiety or futility, all who wish they were well, all who wish that the well of sadness were gone, whose seasons for celebration is overdue. Pour in the light of your hope this day. We pray for those we love, those we know, those often in our hearts and on our minds, and we offer to you our own needs. Pour in the light of your hope this day. God of blessing, the trees are bare, the darkness lingers, but you, O oh God, promise abundance. May we drink from your cup of blessing this day and find in you our hope. These things we pray in the words you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Loving Jesus, may we see the signs of your kingdom. Loving Jesus, may we be the signs of your kingdom. Loving Jesus, May your kingdom come. We go with the blessing of God Almighty, the Creator, the Source and the Spirit, today and always. Amen.